Welcome to the Audiobook Speakeasy. I'm Rich Miller, and I'm your host here at the Speakeasy. This is where you'll meet narrators, coaches, engineers, and other audiobook professionals, as well as some listeners who'll be sharing what they look for in a good audiobook. If you're interested in audiobook production, you've come to the right place. So come on in, grab a drink, pull up a chair, and join us for a friendly chat about audiobooks. My guest tonight is a voice actor who has done a lot of work in many different voiceover genres, including around 300 audiobooks. Christine Vam, thanks for joining me in the speakeasy tonight. Hey, Rich. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. It's my pleasure. I'm glad you could make it in. From uh, from what I gathered when we met at APAC, you are quite busy. I am busy. <laughs> I got a lot going on. <laughs> bu- busy in good ways, I, I, I understand. Busy in great ways. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. No, that's great. I'm so glad that we uh, that we met at APAC. I was uh, it was late in the afternoon, and I was uh, sitting kind of a little quiet time with uh, Jesse Bickford and uh, Jamie Matler, who had brought Frankie, her dog, in. That's right. Yeah, and uh, and you stopped by, and Jamie said, um, "Oh, you should meet Christine." And I think it had something to do with the fact that I was. Uh, something about the podcast, and I was mentioning it to Jesse, and Jamie had been on it, and I said, oh, okay, so got your card, and I'm really glad this worked out. Thanks for coming in. So am I, Rich. This is really such a pleasure. Thank you. Sure, yeah. So, speakeasy, what are you drinking tonight? I'm going to be so lame. I'm drinking club soda with lemon and lime. <laughs> that is that is not lame. There are there are no restrictions on drinks here in the speakeasy. We are perfectly happy when people are drinking other things. Let me guess, you're going to be working later. I am going to be working later. Yep, that that is not not <laughs> uncommon. Um, I think that the best reason I heard for not drinking alcohol is uh, James Adams from uh, from B Audio uh, Worldwide Audio, who uh, who said that because of a case of um, oh now I'm going to forget the name of the um, disease hepatitis like twenty oh. years twenty years ago. Uh, his doctor told him, yeah, you can't drink alcohol. If you do, you're just going to die. And so no. he said, so that that's why I don't drink. <laughs> like, you know, that's, that's a it. good call. Yeah. <laughs> That'll do it. But there are plenty of other reasons. I've had several guests re- recently who uh, were still on the workday or were going to work that night. And uh, they said, nope, not drinking alcohol right now. Totally get it. I'm totally fine with that. I, I hope mean, that... it might import. It, it might improve my performance. I don't know. I've never tried it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, from experience, I'm sure somebody could say it might and it might not. We'll just leave it at right. that. We'll just, yeah. <laughs> so club soda, lemon and lime. That's good. I, I like the uh, citrus combination there. I, I do too, obviously. I do like the lemon-lime combo. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Uh, it's clearly some soft drink companies out there thought that it was good too. Although these days, I imagine most soft drinks have none of either. But, uh, but anyway, well, that's cool. Typically, I would be drinking a coffee because that is my go-to. I, I have like a love affair with coffee. So typically, that's what I would be drinking. But I was so tired early on in uh, earlier in the early evening at 7 o'clock, uh, my time here near near New York, um, and like 5.30, I had one. And I thought, if I have another coffee right now with Rich, I'm never going to sleep tonight, ever. <laughs> so, well, but wouldn't that have meant like four finished hours? It, it, you would think so. What it would really mean is a lot of diving into Facebook. I would go down all sorts of internet rabbit holes, yeah. and I probably wouldn't get anything recorded. <laughs> Either that or your tongue is going to get tied way too often. Oh, well, that's standard living over here. <laughs> totally understand. Well, I am joining you. I am having a cocktail here because I don't think I'm going to be doing any work later tonight. I am actually having a new drink for me. This is a, te- it's called the tequila cocktail. Apparently it was oh. uh, popular in the 30s and was the precursor or the inspiration for the tequila sunrise. So uh-huh. it's uh, it's tequila, it's uh, silver tequila. About half as much lime juice and then a little tiny bit of, um, well, grenadine, but I don't have grenadine because I haven't made my own and none of the commercial grenadines out there are actually made from pomegranate. So I use Chambord instead, which is pretty oh, similar. Oh, I love Chambord. Isn't it great? Yeah. Isn't it great? Yeah. And, yeah, um, I've bartended for a lot of years, oh. as most actors do. Yeah. So yeah, I'm a huge fan. Wow. I'm sure that we could have a very lengthy discussion about uh, alcohol at some point, though. We probably could. <laughs> So let me ask you, if you weren't working later tonight, what would you be drinking? Club soda with lemon and lime. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So was it all those years of bartending that made it so you no longer drink? It's really funny. Um, yeah. 
actually. Mm. I um I was never really a big drinker. I was um Bar- bartender's probably a good job then. Yeah, right. As a matter of fact, I was criticized a lot for it when I was bartending and so many people want to do shots with the bartender. And mm. so I would pick the most heinous thing I could think of to do a shot with. That's funny. <laughs> and that would stop the questions right there. And I'd just Yeager. be like, no, I'm done. I would just say things like, um, maker's mark. We're going to do a shot of maker's mark, which is just so awful to get down in one shot. So, well, I think that's just something we're going to have to agree to disagree on. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed, Rich. That's fine. That's fine. But most um, most youngins that were begging me to do shots at the time probably couldn't handle it the way you can. No, I understand. Uh, believe me, I only started drinking whiskey a few years ago. Uh, yeah. I, I was in my wife's camp for most of my life. Oh, that's a brown liquor. Oh, and, no, uh, I'm a big Jack Daniels fan. If I'm going to oh. drink, it's usually Jack Daniels and a splash of Coke and a lime. Mm. That's, that's my go-to. But I don't I don't really drink a lot um, anymore, um, mostly in the evenings. By the time um, I have two little kids, so uh. my daughter will be six, my son is four, which you would think I'd be a total alcoholic at this point. <laughs> um, but by the time by the time they're settled and in bed, I I'm pretty much done. Yeah, no, I understand. You know? you, and I usually have to hop back in the booth for a couple of hours, so. Yeah, and if you're that tired, it's not like you need any help that the alcohol is going to give you to sleep. No, no, yeah, no, no. Yeah. Well, anyway, so uh, club soda, lemon and lime, that's nice, mm-hmm. and a go. tequila cocktail. Thanks for coming in, Christine. Cheers. Cheers. So as you mentioned, you are uh, out there on the East Coast, which is uh, not uncommon for people who come and visit me here in the Speakeasy. I would guess that probably well over half of the people I've had in here are uh, are on the East Coast. Uh, where it, did you grow up there, or are you a transplant? I did. No, no, no. I grew up in New Jersey. Um, oh. I grew up about an hour outside of Manhattan in and a it, tiny little town um, that at the time was mostly farmland. So I kind of grew up in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. But 50 minutes from Manhattan, which was great. And is that it's still 50 minutes or is it now like an hour and a half? No, it's still it's still 50 minutes um, if you avoid rush hour traffic, which can be pretty heinous at times. But yeah, yeah. and I go out there very often. You know, my st- I still have family and friends out that way. In Manhattan? In New Jersey, I mean. So I, okay, so where I grew up, it's all getting a very confusing. It was an hour outside of Manhattan. And now I'm about 15 miles outside of Manhattan where I live with my husband and my two kids. Oh, got it. Okay. So you are you are closer into the city. Yes, exactly. Got it. All right. And do you get into the city for work very often? I used to. I used to. Not anymore. Um, for For a multitude of reasons, actually. One, a lot of the work, once everyone knew I had a home studio... Um, a lot of my work ended up being home studio work, sure. which became yeah. very easy. And then I, at the time I was still going in for auditions for animation and video game and that sort of thing. And then even that became easier to do from home and to audition from home. So with the way the industry is going all over voiceover, it, it just became really easy for me to be here. So it's rare that I go into the city. Sure. So, yeah, no, I, I, I can totally understand that. I, um, started VO back in, just a little after 2000 and uh, mm. the, the whole home studio and technology thing, of course, home studios existed before that for people who had lots of money and they had, you know, all of the resources that they needed. Um, but they were not, not all that common back then. And um, they were just starting to be more common. And uh, I remember one of the workshops that I took was on technology and recording software and all the things that you need. And I'm, I think it was probably within the next five years Everything had changed. Yeah, because uh, I think I put my first home studio in in 2006. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and by that time it was like now taking a class and learning how to do these things on your own and having a recording space of your own is much more of a necessity than a nice-to-have kind of thing. Exactly. You're right. Yeah. So uh, so did you go to school out there as well? I did. Wow, so you've stayed close to home the whole time. I know. it's so. I'm so boring. I don't drink. I didn't move far away from home. I'm so lame. My <laughs> That's God. not boring or lame. That's great because you're still, like you said, I you're still know. close to family. Well, to be perfectly honest, I mean, I grew up right outside of New York City. So mm. in my mind, where else was there to go? I right. just kind of felt like I was already in the center of it all. Um, and as a young person, I had 
big dreams of being on Broadway, which I never pursued, by the way. Mm. So staying close to New York was always something I wanted to do. And then um, I went to school for television and radio. So I started working in TV and radio and I was working in Manhattan and I was working in New Jersey. So I just it all just kind of happened for me here. I didn't really have a lot of other opportunities outside of this area. So I've, I've kind of just settled here. That's great. Where did you do the, uh, the program for television and, uh, and that type of work, uh, out East? Um, I went to Montclair state university for broadcasting and then, um, following graduation, I worked for an independent documentary company and we made documentaries for court TV and HBO and wham and stars. And then I left there and I ended up producing radio down near the Jersey Shore, which anybody who works in radio can tell you there's absolutely no money in. Yeah, I, I learned that because that was one of the avenues I was thinking of pursuing many, many years ago, long before voiceover. Did you think you were going to love it? Yes. Did you do any of it? I didn't, but then I, I talked to more people, and, and there was a part of me that for a while I was kind of disappointed that I hadn't tried to pursue it. And then I talked to more people, and I thought, you know what? I think that's probably okay. Um, I think things probably worked out better that way. Yeah, I agree. So I thought, isn't, wouldn't it be great? It's, it's, I get these crazy notions in my head, Rich. I thought, wouldn't it be great to just sit around and listen to music? Cause that's all I want to do anyway. So, um, I was working in television at the time and I just decided out of the blue, I was going to work in radio and everybody said, you're crazy. Mm-hmm. And I happened to know like one guy in radio and I reached out to him and, you know, he gave me the name of a few people, but I had gone to school for audio and video recording and editing. So I just threw together a demo, mm-hmm. you know, because I had the 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 know-how um, and it, it caught the attention of this radio station. And that was great. It was like instantly I was working there. I was producing the morning show. I was filling in, you know, in the afternoons or on weekends. And what I learned is that it was really boring to be on air on the radio. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're in a, I mean, literally in a booth by yourself all day, which is exactly what I'm doing now, but I'm, you're not even telling a story. You're not even emoting. You're not really present. You know, you turn the mic on every couple of songs, you know, to do some information about what's happening at the radio station. And then you pull out, it's just boring and it doesn't, it pays such poop. Yeah. That, that's the other thing that I heard. Well, both of those things were part of it, that the, the work itself ends up not being nearly as much fun or as cool as you think it's going to be. And there's no pay. And then when all the consolidation started happening, geez, I don't know when that, that really got going. I think it was the nineties maybe. Um, it, it just, it just became more and more difficult to find a job that you would like in radio. Yeah. And the other thing that's interesting about working in radio is, say you want to just, you want to move up, you know, you want to go from working overnights to weekends, or you want to work a a morning shift, or you want to be a part of some other day part. Mm -hmm. Um, You're not looking at changing radio stations within your area. You're talking about going somewhere else in the country altogether, just to follow a radio gig that's barely paying your bills. So you have to really love it. That's what I've heard is that um, you really have to be willing to go someplace, maybe middle of Montana, maybe, you know, South Florida. It could be anywhere where the job happens to be. Exactly. And so for that, you have to really love it. And I didn't. And so the amazing thing that happened to me there, um, it's funny how life works, right? It just kind of puts you in the path that you need it to to be put in. Mm -hmm. And I was doing voiceover work for the radio station. So you know how they have like those local ads that they do. Um, So I would be put on these local ads because I had a knack for it. And it was a different voice from the regular radio station voices. And they would have me do it. And that is what I fell in love with doing. That's cool. So even though radio itself as, as a job was not for you, you learned about a different job and actually had to do it. And so you got, hey, that's great. Now I can follow some different path. Exactly. And so um, I quit that job and got myself a full-time bartending job. And then I was just pounding the pavement until the voiceover thing worked out. That's cool. So how long ago was this? Was this back in the, um, you said that you put your first booth together in 2006. So was this yeah, like so it was just around before that? Then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was just around then because I had, I, I kind of, I moved into, you know, I had 
you, your whole life changes when you do these crazy things. Oh, yeah. um, so I had moved into this new apartment and they had this fantastic big closet. <laughs> and I was like, that's perfect. I'm going to put a booth <laughs> in there. That's great. It's, yeah. it's good that you had a place where you could do that. I know that that's, uh, I usually consider the recording space like the number one most important thing. Um, people are like, oh, what kind of microphone should I get? And I'm thinking, well, where are you going to put it first? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't think of any of those smart things. I was. Oh, I didn't either. The first time I was doing this, <laughs> most people like, don't. I'm gonna put myself in the closet, and it's gonna be wonderful. Yeah, you no, know. most people don't. But I recorded some great stuff there. That's cool. That's, you know, so that's great. It all worked out. So that's how you got into voiceover, and where did you yeah. start in voiceover? Because you had been working at the radio station. Were you really focusing on commercial? Um, I really, really wanted to be a cartoon. And to be perfectly honest, and I say this to people all the time, I wanted to try everything. I didn't know what I was going to be good at. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of throwing my hat in every ring. And the very first voiceover job that I got was for an ADR company who was dubbing um, Turkish television into English. And that was my very first job. And I worked with two directors. One director was closely linked to Pokemon. And the other director was closely linked with Audible. And um, after they left the dubbing place, they took me with them. And nice. I worked on Pokemon for years. And then that's how I got my start at Audible. Wow, that's great. So you worked on Pokemon. What did you do on Pokemon? Oh, I did a bunch of different things. So I was in a, a few different movies. I was in The Rise of Darkrai, where I play a character named Alice. Um, I was in the black and white movies where I played a character named, I don't remember. <laughs> I think her name was, I think her name was Francesca. I can't remember. And then I did a bunch of ancillary characters in the recurring um, episodic TV series. I played a, a character named Professor Juniper. That's, that's very cool. It's a, it's a great story that sort of points to um, not just audiobooks, certainly true in audiobooks, maybe more so than in other genres, but it's very true in other genres as well. Um, such a relationship business. Oh, it really is. So you just, you never know what's going to happen when you meet somebody. And I, I see comments about this, about APAC all the time. It's like, you can't expect to get work. Some people do. I, I know several people who have said, I've already gotten a job from this casting director that I met at APAC. And I'm like, wow, that's great. Um, but oh, you, well, you, you, you bless them. It never happened to me. Yeah. So you can't expect that. And yet you never know who you're going to meet who you're going to be in contact with, who can then introduce you to somebody else or through some other sort of exchange, you meet somebody else. And so you just never know. And uh, you so really that, don't. That, that's one of those great stories. You know, you meet somebody in your first job and then uh, when that's over, you end up continuing to work with them someplace else. Yeah. And you, you know, what's interesting is that I got this great piece of advice when I was at Montclair State. Um, one of the classes was about networking and you know, getting work. And one of the things that they drilled into us constantly was the second you leave your house, the second you close that front door behind you, you are, you are on. Meaning everybody that you bump into, everybody that you see, talk to, treat with respect and dignity because you never know who you're going to run into. You hmm. could be on the elevator up to an audition and the casting director is in the elevator with you, but you don't know that. Yep. And you might say something snide or sarcastic or negative about the project that you're going to audition for. Meanwhile, you're standing next to the casting director. Mm -hmm. So they drilled it into us to do things like show up on time, be easy to work with, do your best, you know, mm -hmm. and and let that carry your reputation. So that's kind of the uh, the advice that I give people. Show up on time, do great work, be easy to work with. That is so great. I um, my last guest actually was just talking about those very things, um, and it's and it's, I I guess it's easy to forget those things. Um, I tend to think that for some people it's just that they've never had it drilled into them in any way, um, but it's really important stuff. It's it's the basics, and it's just so important. Well, if you think about it, if you're a casting person or you're a director or you're a producer and you've got two talents to choose from and one is always late and is a total pain in the butt, but the other always shows up on time, does great work and is fun to be around, it's pretty easy to decide who I'm going to work with. No brainer. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 
So and, and sometimes those basics, like even trump other things. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if even if all things aren't equal, maybe this other person has uh, you know more credits under their belt or whatever it is. But uh, if you show up on time and you're really excited about the job, and uh, and you do all of those basic things, you might still get the nod instead of the other person with more experience. Agreed. Yeah. Well, that's cool. So uh, so that was, uh, you went on and did a bunch of Pokemon stuff and mm-hmm. Audible. Yeah. So so that was relatively early on in your voiceover career then was oh my goodness, starting, yeah. starting to work in audiobooks. 2008. And I what, did my first audiobook. What was your first book? Do you remember? It was some steamy romancy thing that um, <laughs> I don't think I used my real name on at all. Uh. <laughs> it, was, it was super, super steamy. And you want to hear a funny story? Um, one of the first, so this is way back when, this is before I even met my husband, so let's not all get crazy, but the engineer (laughs) that I was working with, the engineer that I was working with on this particular crazy, steamy, very hot romance, uh, novel had the same name as the main character in the book. And I also kind of had a crush on him. And so the entire time, so I'm in the booth, it's my, like, it's so my first, one of my first books, maybe one of the first five that I ever did. And I am like emoting this man's name over and over and I am just beat red. And he of course (laughs) is total pro, right? Doesn't even, doesn't even matter to him. He's done this a thousand times, but I was mortified. That's hysterical. And how did it do? I don't know. Uh, haven't, <laughs> don't haven't checked know. on it, huh? You're not, you're not going every day still and finding out how many sales there are and how many reviews? It's funny. <laughs> no, I didn't. I never looked because it was one of my first, you know? And um, as a matter of fact, I was just telling a student the other day, and, and she's very new to audiobooks, super, super green. She hasn't even recorded her first one. And we talked about the use of pseudonyms and how that works for you. And I had suggested that she use one. Um, and she said, why do you think I'm going to be doing questionable material? And I said, well, you might be. But the other thing is, um, say your first five books out aren't really the best representation of what you're capable of. Mm-hmm. It's probably better if there's another name attached to it. And as you get a little bit more practice and this starts to feel a little more comfortable and you start working on projects you're really proud of, that's when I would start using my real name. Yeah. So I, that when somebody Googles Christine Vam, they're not coming up with stuff that I did 10 years ago that I wouldn't want anybody to hear. Right. I think that's great advice. Um, I did not go about it that way. And I consider myself fortunate that my first few books, I think, came out OK. I, I think about the first book that I did. Um, well, I, I had done books before, but it was um, pro bono. It was uh, Learning Ally. Uh, which at the time was Reading for the Blind and Dyslexic, and Books Aloud, which is an organization in San Jose, California, that does basically the same thing, um, recorded books for uh, visually impaired customers. Anyway, um, so aside from those, the first book that I did, I look at it now, and I realize that I made some choices that were really poor choices, but they were fortunately for really small things within the book. And um, and I also learned about proofing af- mm. after I had already done a few books. So don't tell anybody. I won't tell anybody either. But uh, <laughs> but that was one of those things where you don't know what you don't know. And so yeah. that's that's one of those reasons that whenever I have a chance, I always caution people: go slow, wait, stop, hold on. You know, you got yeah. a lot of reading to do. You've got a lot of things to learn about, and that will help you in the future. Ask me how I know, um, and so, but so I do feel like I'm I'm fortunate that there weren't any um, aside from that proofing thing. There there aren't any huge things, but of course I look back at all the first ten, twenty, thirty books that I've done, and do you and, really? Well, I I think about them and I go, oh yeah, I think I could have done that better. I think I could have done that better. All right, well, Rich, I'm going to do it right now because I got my computer right in front of me. I'm going to go check it out. You're going to check out what? <laughs> We're going to check out my first book and ah. see how it did. Because <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. So, but I, I just, I think about the early ones that I did and I think, yeah, I definitely made some mistakes. I feel really fortunate that I don't think that I made any huge mistake. Well, proofing aside. But um, anyway, so so you got into it way back when. and uh, And then it just kept going. Yeah, I got really lucky, I guess. Um, so at that time... I, as I had said to you earlier, I was just kind of throwing everything against the wall in in voiceover form to see what stuck. Mm-hmm. Um, I really loved animation and video games, and I did quite a bit of that work um, 
I really liked commercial, but I did I, I didn't book a lot of commercial. I did a little bit here and there, but nothing major that I could hang my hat on. But Audible kept calling me. That's great. And it just seemed to click. And I happened to come in at a time when right before the huge blow up, um, when Audible just started recording countless amounts of books. So I came in right the year right before all of that really kicked off. So it was the right time, the right place. Yeah, and that was only a couple of years before ACX and re- things really blew up in, in more directions at that point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, that's that's good. So uh, so once again, relationship business, you met somebody, yeah. you went to Audible, and it just kept going from there. Um, so at this point, and you're still, do- well, let me ask you this. So I know that you do, you still do other voiceover work. What, what's the, what's the balance there or the, um, the, the work breakdown? How much of your work do you think, uh, outside of the coaching, which we'll get to in a minute, but when it comes to actually recording things, how much of your time is spent on audiobooks compared to other voiceover? Right now, I would say that 95% of what I do is audiobooks. A lot. And I've, yeah, I've moved it that way. So once I had kids, it was harder and harder to sort of because when you do animation and video game, you have to go to the studios. And it became really difficult to do that when I had infants sure. um, and finding child care and somebody I trusted. And so I was trying to balance that whole mom career thing. Audiobooks were going so incredibly well. The work was coming in. I didn't need all of the other work. So I kind of let some of that go mm-hmm. to the wayside. And now every now and then um, I might get an audition or something and I'm like, oh, that looks fun. I'm, I'll give that a shot. I'll try that. But mm-hmm. I don't I don't do a lot of it anymore. Really primarily audiobooks. So do you have mm-hmm. a, a specialty or a niche? Uh, is there anything that you really, really like narrating so you get more of it or you just really, you know, take on whatever comes along? Um, I think early on I was, I was, um, identified, I don't want to say pigeonholed cause I, I kind of love it anyway, but, um, I started to get a lot of fantasy YA paranormal work, you know, magical girl meets magical boy and they magically save the world. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and I loved it. I had a great time with it. It was a lot of fun. It still is a lot of fun. So I think I get a lot of that, um, I also get a lot of like badass women who are like into guns and fighting and I get a lot of that. And and <laughs> so, is that because you identify with those characters? No, I don't <laughs> no. I mean maybe. Maybe my maybe my inner badass comes out. I don't know. But I I I like doing it. Right now that's exactly what I'm recording. Um I'm this like badass military woman who's a total renegade and I go against um, my commander and I end up killing her in a fit of rage. It's so much fun. (laughs) (laughs) That's very cool. I guess I get my aggressions out that way. I don't know. (laughs) But but yeah, I'll I'll take just about anything that comes my way. I typically say no to romance, to the steamy stuff. Um, Because of that first book? (laughs) you're you're afraid you're going to meet another engineer with the same name as the main character. (laughs) It's possible. Um, You never know. No, more like I'm just, I'm, I'm just not comfortable when I'm doing it. Mm. I can do it. I have done it. Um, I certainly don't say no to certain producers who I have a great relationship with and they call me and say, Hey, Chris, would you do this? I'm Mm -hmm. not going to say no. I do use an alias when I do it. Um, but I don't like to. It's not something I choose to do. So most of the time I say, nah, it's not really my bag. There's a lot of fantastic narrators out there who love that kind of work, um, who are really good at that work. Mm-hmm. And there's there's plenty to go around, right? So I, um, yeah, I don't, I don't like to do the steamy romance stuff. So you, you've mentioned a couple of times the, the whole idea of the pseudonym. Is, is that something that, um, that happens a lot? I mean, do you do you do books under a pseudonym frequently at this point, or is that pretty, no. r- pretty rare? I think I've got twenty five books out of the three hundred that I've done that are under a pseudonym, so that's, and that's not just steamy stuff. Some of it's just you know books that I didn't really want um, to have identified along with my name. Mm-hmm. No, totally understand. Um, and and you said that you were speaking with a student about that. What's what's your what's your take in general on using pseudonyms? How, how do you counsel people about that? I think it's a really personal choice, right? Um, we all have, we we all know what's comfortable for us and what's not. 
I personally wasn't comfortable using my real name. Um, I never wanted my kids to Google my name and see it. I never wanted my parents to come across it. So for me, that was my reasoning. Mm -hmm. Other people, they don't, they don't have that. It doesn't bother them. They're very free with that. They're very empowered by it to which I applaud and say, that's phenomenal. So it's a personal decision. It's, you know, it's what that student, what that performer is comfortable with. Yeah. No, it makes a lot of sense. I, I struggled with it for quite a while as I was getting into romance, thinking back and forth, do I create another persona? Do I not? You know, is it okay to have it under my name? I don't have any of the concerns that a lot of other people do have when they create a pseudonym like kids or family members who are going to be embarrassed or, you know, any of, any of those things. But I realize there are other, there are lots of aspects that you have to look at, including marketing and, um, you know, friends and various things. And I finally decided against it, but it really did take me quite a while. And, um, I'm, I'm not at all surprised when I hear people say that it was a difficult choice when they decided to do it or not, but it yeah. all, it all seems to come down to, you know, the personal things that are going on in your life and, um, and what that yeah, will, me- what that will mean. For me, it was a really easy choice. I was like, I don't, at the, I was, you know, a bit younger at the time. And I was like, no, I can't put that, my name on that. I mean, I've since changed my view on so much of that. But at the time, I was very, I was like mortified that mm-hmm. anybody would hear me say the kinds of things that were coming out of my mouth in some of those books. Yeah. So, um, you know, and there's times now when, um, when a book comes my way and I've agreed to do it and I'm like, well, I just gotta, I gotta go with it. There's a couple of romance novels that I've done under my own name, you know, because, um, the author specifically came to me because of my reputation and wanted to work with me. And I thought asking them to use a pseudonym would sort of be a slap in the face. It's like you came because you wanted to work with Christine Vam. You didn't want to work with Jenny Larson or whatever. Um, so, you know, it's, there's, there's that, relationship to to consider as well what is my relationship with the author what sure. are they looking for can can i help them you know in sales if my name is on it if i can okay mm-hmm. and it's not going to make or break my life it's not it's not that big of a deal right. so um yeah there's a few out there with with my name on them and then there's a few that aren't and I'm just going to guess that Jenny Larson is not your pseudonym. Jenny Larson is not my pseudonym, <laughs> although it's a good one. <laughs> it is. It is. I like that. That was that was great. Just spur of the moment thinking there. So uh, so we mentioned home booth. So you do most of your work at home now. What's your home situation like? Uh, you mentioned kids as well. Is that a? Um, I, I don't want to say are your kids problems, but is uh, yes. is is, I mean, is having no. them in the house a uh, a problematic thing? Uh, it is this week. So. What I do is I typically record while they're at school. So they're at school between nine and three and my recording hours are between nine and three. And then once or twice a week after they go to bed, you know, and I'll work until 11 or 12 if if I've got a tight deadline. But now that summer is here, it's proving a little more difficult. (laughs) (laughs) Now it's always late at night. This this week has been crazy. So this is the first full week that I'm on full-time mommy duty during the day uh, and trying to get a book done. So it's like, hey, can you guys play upstairs for an hour and I can grab an hour of recording and then I take them to the park and then it's, hey, can you guys watch a movie for an hour and I can grab an hour and then tonight um, when you and I finish up, then I'll, I'll finish up. But to me, those few minutes that I can grab during the day when they're awake is just gravy, right? It's just getting a head start. Sure. Yeah. Um, but they're cute. I mean, they're interested in what I'm doing. I'm locked in this tiny box and talking to myself and they think it's amazing <laughs> and they want to, so they'll run in here and they want to record their voices and it's okay. That's I mean, cool. I love them. They're kind of cute. Yeah, <laughs> no doubt. But it is, it's what, what becomes hard is that, um, even though I have a I have a whisper room and I've sort of sound treated the the room space that I'm actually in, sound travels, especially when they're like banging their feet on the ceiling above me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so there's definitely um, um, some interruption, 
But they're not the biggest problem. My biggest problem is landscapers. If you've ever been on my Facebook page, I probably post once a week about how much I hate them. <laughs> I don't remember seeing one from you. I may have, but I, I have seen many, I've seen countless posts about landscapers. And I completely understand. I Where I used to record in my house was a, a walk-in closet in the back of the house, which was, which had an external wall. And it was on our carport. And I could hear the cars pull. It was a it was an insulated wall, and yet yeah. I could hear the car pulling up across the street. I could hear them turn the car stereo off, slam the car door, walk mm-hmm. on the gravel up to their oh, door, no. <laughs> open their door, slam their door. I could hear all of it. And if when the woman next door to them was running the leaf blower, which she does in Arizona, where oh, there God. really aren't very many leaves <laughs> for a half an hour. Oh my there was God! Just, I, believe me, I was—I would just tear my hair out. It's like, why yeah. are you doing this? There's not even a need. So I—I I, I don't know what she was doing, but I have a neighbor. I won't use their name, but they literally—and I'm not exaggerating—have their landscaper at their house three to four times a week. I don't know what oh their yard God. looks like. I've not been invited over, but it must be amazing. Yeah, how many leaves <laughs> can you clip off of a branch? You know, <laughs> it must be amazing back there because so. On a regular basis, you know, I take nice little 30-minute breaks while the landscaper does their thing, and then I can get back in the booth, which is usually fine. Mm-hmm. You know, it's par for the course. It's it's what I have I have agreed to by having a home studio, right, is yep. all those home noises. So you just kind of have to suck it up and deal with it. Right. You, you have and a flexible so schedule, which is the, the positive, and then you have to use that flexible schedule at yeah. hours that you wouldn't necessarily want to. Be, that's the negative. So yeah, it anyway, really is. Yeah, it's I'm, a bummer. I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that. <laughs> Thank you. So it makes uh, me sad. so I believe it was a few years ago. Um, you were involved in a rather unique production. Mm. Tell me about that. So a few years ago, I um, was sick of the landscapers. And I moved my booth to an office space here in my hometown. And in that office space, uh, the the gentleman that owned the business and the building, um, we got to talking one day and they happened to have written a lot of musicals for children way back in the 80s. And I said to them, their names are uh, Neil Fishman and Harvey Edelman. Hey, guys, in case you're listening. <laughs> um, why don't we turn that into an audiobook musical? what is that, they say. And I said, I don't know, because it's never been done before. (laughs) So the three of us took one of their old musicals for kids, um, Rumpelstiltskin, and created Spin out of it. Um, And it is the very first audiobook musical. That's fantastic. And this was a full cast, right? Full cast. I believe Spin had seven cast members, including the marvelous Jim Dale, who was our narrator. I've heard of him. <laughs> I've heard of him too. Isn't he great? And uh, um, and I'm trying to think how many original songs were in Spin. Eight original songs. So we actually just finished the follow-up. We just had Jim Dale into the studio uh, la- early last week to finish up the narration for Puss in Boots. That's fantastic. So Our second. Yeah. So for the so I assume that all of this was recorded in a professional studio. In, yes. in the same professional studio with everybody being in attendance that needed to be there. Yes, we recorded at CDM Studios in New York. Thank you to Charles de Montebello. He's kind of amazing. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was very important to me. So a lot of multicasts are done one person at a time. It happens a lot. Mm-hmm. But I, as a director and as a producer and a creator, really wanted the energy that happens when everybody's in the same room, especially because this was a play, right? Mm -hmm. This was a musical. So um, we arranged it that everybody would be in the studio together. And it came out phenomenal. You know, you can really hear the magic happening between the characters and the relationships. And um, I think it was the best possible choice we could have made. And how did the songs work? I mean, I assume that those were also recorded in the same place, but was it... No. Like, oh, so those were done... They were not. Those were so, done separately. Neil Fishman is our musical director and composer. He um, recorded all of the music prior to going into the studio. Everything is done on MIDI. And then we would go into the studio with the music tracks and the actors would sing over the tracks and then we would mix them 
altogether separately later. So the so the actors would sing in the same studio where they were performing the words as well. Correct. Got it. Okay. So th- so that that makes sense to me because now you've got everybody. So all of all of the spoken and sung words and dialogue, whatever, is done in the same space. It just seems to me like it would be such a nightmare for something that is that unique to have people doing it in different studios. I'm sure that the you know qualified engineers out there would be able to handle it, but to me. It just seems like it would be such a nightmare, whereas having everybody recording in the same space, that would make things a lot, um, I don't know, a, a lot cleaner in terms of uh, the ambient room town. Room it, town. Was n- it was never even a consideration to not have everybody in the same space. As yeah. a matter of fact, when we were doing auditions, um, it was, if you are willing to come to New York when we're recording, please audition for this. Got it. Yeah. So one of um, in Puss in Boots, which will come out in August, uh, one of our actors, Brian Holden, actually came in from Chicago and he did a phenomenal job. He's wonderful. He plays um, one of the brothers in Puss in Boots. So he came out from Chicago and it was like, nope, everybody's got to be in New York in the same studio because to your point, it would just be insane trying to match all of that. Yeah, it, it seems like and it trying to match the the relationships, right? It's yeah. also it's all of that energy is lost when somebody else is recording solo somewhere else. Exactly. Like like you said before, it's it's um with everybody being in the same space, there is there's something that is greater than the the sum of the parts, I think. Yeah. And my my two partners, um Harvey and Neil and I, we're just control freaks, right? So we have to be there for everything. We have to listen to what it sounds like and I want to make sure that these two voices are working well together and if they're not, what are we going to do to change it? So if everybody's there, we can kind of make changes on the fly. As a matter of fact, during rehearsal, um, we had the two brothers cast as the opposite roles. They both were going to be the brothers, but we flipped them mm. right in rehearsal. So if they hadn't been there, we hadn't, we wouldn't have heard their two voices together and decided, you know what, it would be better to flip that. Right. And it yeah. worked beautifully. Well, that's had great. Had not been there. So the first one went so well that that you're doing a sequel. So this is yeah. this is your baby. Um, and do you do other types of productions, or have you considered having your own audiobook production company for more standard audiobooks, or do you just want to continue doing this type of? Sounds like it's really a passion project for you. That's a really good question, Rich. It all started because all of this kind of started because we all sit in a box alone all the time. Mm -hmm. And I had this real hankering to work with other people, to work on a bigger project. Um, I had come from a a television production background, radio production, where there's people, we're all working together. There's a big project. There's a beginning, a middle, and an end. And, you know, it's a group effort. And I was really missing that. Um, so that was part of the, the impetus to do this. Then having run into these two guys who just happened to have all of this in, incredible material just sitting around doing nothing. It was, it was perfect. It was kismet. You never know really. who you're going to meet. And you never know who you're going to meet. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, but as to what I want to do in the future, I don't know. I don't know. We'll see what happens. I'm, I'm not a great planner. And it's worked out really well so far. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. I, I look forward to hearing what happens with the uh, with, with your productions in the future, whether you're going to branch out or kind of continue doing this kind of, you know, very unique kind of thing. So the other yeah. thing that you do is you coach people in voiceover. And if I'm not mistaken, it's not just audiobook narrating. It's, it's all different aspects of voiceover. I do. I when, do. When did that start? Um... I guess around the same time that I started, we started working on spin. So it's been a couple of years now mm-hmm. that I started um, coaching. It started, I had this grand idea that I wanted to open a big voiceover coaching school. Mm-hmm. Um, I have such a, a wealth of friends and talented professionals around me that I kind of, again, I wanted this group project, right? So I wanted to grab my animation friends and my video game friends and my audiobook producing and director friends. And I wanted to create this amazing school where everybody was going to come together and we were all going to learn how to do voiceover successfully. And we we're all going to be rich and famous and it was going to be great. <laughs> um, 
but nobody wanted to come out to New Jersey. <laughs> so, but there's a lot um, of people then, that do this type of work in New York. Absolutely. But um, I, the studio that I was using was was in New Jersey. And so I wanted to do everything around there. And I was having trouble getting coaches to come out. Mm. And spin was happening at the same time. And um, I tend to think that I can do everything. I tend to think that there's a lot of time in the day. <laughs> but the school idea is one of those ones that kind of fizzled. And what remained was still a passion to coach and mentor and really help people the way that I wish somebody would have helped me when I started in the industry. So as a coach, what I'm always looking to do is not necessarily just coach somebody for an hour, but is to truly mentor them, to mm -hmm. truly take um, real care with what they want to do, what they want to experience, how they want to move forward in the industry, what are their goals and their expectations. And I want to help them realize that. That's great. As opposed to just, hey, we're just going to sit for an hour and I'm going to go through this script. So what I've done is I, I rather than doing on an hourly, I put package to, packages together that are individual. You know, what is it that you want to get out of this? Are we going to work well together? Do you want to work with me? Do I want to work with you? Mm -hmm. Do I think I can realistically help you? And so after all of those questions are answered, um, then we'll typically work for a few months instead of just an hour at a time. Sounds great. I, I love the the thinking of it as mentoring as opposed to just, you know, one-off coaching. Not, yeah. that there, not that there's anything wrong with one-off coaching if that's what somebody is looking for. But um, the way you describe it, I think, sounds a lot like what I hear a lot online from people who, uh, you know, it's recommended that they get a coach because you're new to the business and whatever. And what I'm when I'm reading between the lines, it really sounds to me like this is not somebody who just needs to work on how to do this one specific type of text. This is somebody who is really interested in doing this, and you're not going to be able to necessarily move forward just by learning how to do one specific thing. Um, exactly. And, and so I know several coaches take more of a kind of a holistic approach and look at the business side and look at mm -hmm. various different types of text. And so, um, so that sounds like a, like a great approach. How much of the coaching that you do is geared towards audiobooks? Is it, is it this, the 95% split that you have for your work or does it, does it, uh, is it more varied? I'd say it's more varied. Yeah. Um, I think it's more of a 50, 50 split. Oh, I, no kidding. That's, that's yeah. quite, quite a difference. I work with a lot of straight VO people and typically beginners, you mm -hmm. know, people who are just kind of dipping their feet in. I just worked with this wonderful student. God, if I could have students like her all the time, so hungry for the information, so willing to try the crazy things that I ask her to do, mm -hmm. to do all of the homework because I make my students do homework. Um but she she's brand new. She comes from um, a marketing background and she had this real passion to do voiceover. And so I said, great, let's let's start working together. And what I did with her, um, like I said, it's very a personalized thing is I took her through everything. So, you know, she and I worked with commercial and animation and on hold messaging and video games and audiobooks. And we kind of did a, a once over on everything to kind of give her an idea of what it is she even wants to do. That's great. You get an introduction and then you can kind of hone in on what makes sense to you. Right. So mm. when a student comes to me and they want to do just straight voiceover work, I can work with them in the beginning stages. And then, as I said before, I've got all of these wonderful and talented coaches and mentors and people that I know that I then pass them off to. And I say, hey, listen, you and I have worked together and it's been great, but now it's time for you to talk to so-and-so because you're ready for that. That's very cool. And, uh, and it is great that you have all of those contacts, contacts and you know who to, who to send people to um, for more. Um, so for the, for the audiobook students that you have that mm -hmm. are already focusing on audiobooks, they're also primarily just getting started in audiobooks? No, actually, um, I, it runs the gamut. Mm, so okay. some people come to me when they're you know, new and fresh. And we have so much to talk about, right? We're going through everything, kind of figuring out what their sound is, what their genre is, what they're most passionate about doing. And sometimes I'm working with someone who's been in the business for a while and just wants to focus on one 
problem area that they're having. Mm -hmm. So again, I go back and I say it a thousand times. It's really personal. It's what they they feel that they need. I've done an assessment and I say, this is what I think would be helpful. And then we kind of find a way to, to get all of that stuff accomplished. That's great. I, I love the fact that, that you keep going back to the whole personal thing, um, because I think that uh, one size fits all usually fits none. And so, yeah, uh, no, it really doesn't. Yeah. So make, making it a personal approach is good, especially with the creative stuff. Um, yeah, I, I, that sounds like a like a great approach. Oh, I'm glad <laughs> because <laughs> well, as with most things, I typically, I, 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 again, I say I wanted, I wanted to become a coach that I would have wanted when I was starting mm -hmm. someone that actually cares about what's going to happen to me. Yeah. You know, no, that, that that's great. Is invested. Yeah. That, that's so that's cool. what I try to do. So I don't take, um, students all the time. I, I only take a handful every year, mm -hmm. um, because I have you know, I have two little ones and I have a full-time audiobook career going on and, and I've been producing and directing. So, um, I also don't want to shortchange anybody on my time and attention. So right. I only take a few people a year who so, I think really mesh well with me. So with all of those things going on that you just mentioned, um, do you have any time to do anything outside of those things? No. I'm just, I'm just wondering what you do in your free time. And I'm thinking, I don't know that you have any free time. <laughs> I don't have a lot of free time. Um, I guess I like it that way. I guess I really like what I do for a living, right? So that's kind of my hobby that's is also my job. That's fantastic <laughs> when you can say that. Uh, that's, yeah, that's what well, that's everybody the, that's wants, right? That's the dream, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, but I guess in my, I, I, we, I create quite a bit of free time for myself. Um, on Saturday, my family and I are taking ourselves to the beach for the week. Oh, nice. So we'll do a little bit of that. And then I always give myself a month off in the summer Cool. Um, from working. So, um, cause my, you know, my kids are still little and I figure the whole reason I got into voiceover and audiobooks and being a freelancer was so that my time was my own. Mm -hmm. Um, and I forgot that for a long time and I was working and working and working and I was exhausted and I was momming and, Finally, I was like, wait a second. The whole reason I'm doing this is so that I can spend time with my kids when I want to, so that I can be flexible, but I'm not allowing myself to do that. And so finally, a few years ago, I was like, that's it. Four weeks in the summer belong to me and my family. And the rest of the time, I'll work my tush off. But those four weeks are mine. I think that's fantastic. I, I you know, this topic comes up a lot online and basically fits into the work-life balance um, yeah. topic, uh, header, whatever you want to call it. And this, this came up for me and my wife, who's, who also owns her own solo business, uh, not in anything like audiobooks. But, um, but what I found was I'm feeling like I'm stuck seven days a week doing this. Mm -hmm. And I have a feeling that maybe she's feeling the same way. And so, so I, I brought it up to her and I said, you know, so what I've been thinking is, you know, we don't have to have Saturday and Sunday as a weekend, but I feel like I have no weekend. And so what if we were to just say Tuesday is our day off and we both have the same day off so that if we want to do something together, we can. If we want to do separate things like gardening or whatever it is, we can, but we don't have to feel like we're doing work. And that's what we're doing right now. And, Brilliant. And, and it's, it has been good. It hasn't been 100% because a couple of things have come up like once a month or so, something will come up where we can't put it off and it has to happen on that particular day. But we're trying that out. And what I'm hoping is that within a year or two, I'll be able to say, let's have a two-day weekend. And they, yeah. don't, they don't even have to be consecutive days. But let's have a couple of days where we can do that and we can get some of that balance back. Um, and because I, as as people who work for themselves, I, we are the worst bosses. Yep. In that respect, I agree. It, it is so easy uh, and, it, and it feels so necessary to yeah. constantly be on. Yes. And and so um, I, I think that's that's great advice, whether it's a month straight or whether it's two days in a row or whether it's, you know, just whatever one day. it is that you can you can grab for yourself. I mean, I have been doing this work for almost a decade now. Well, no, for a decade now. Mm -hmm. And it took me close to eight years before I allowed myself the freedom to have some me time. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. before I was so exhausted. And my advice is don't don't wait a decade 
try to create that balance now. Nobody, yeah. nobody needs to know that you're taking that Tuesday for yourself. You're just booked. Yep. Nobody I, needs to know why. Exactly. And, and that's something that was kind of <clears> difficult <throat> for me for a while was always wanting to give a reason for something, mm-hmm. whether, whether it's, well, I can't do this today or whatever. Um, and, and I finally realized at some point people aren't even usually looking for reasons. They're just looking for a yes or a no. And if you say, well, I can't have it on that day, very few people are actually going to say, why not? Um, And so I've I've gotten much better. I've never been asked, why not? Yeah, I've I've gotten much better at just knowing what my schedule is and knowing where that balance is and saying, no, I can't do this. I can do that, but I can't do this. Of of course, every situation is different. And when you're starting out, um, maybe if you, you know, really need that much more money or whatever the reason is, it's it's not that it's bad if you are working 24-7. Well, it kind of is. But no, it, it is. It, 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 it's, it's not that it's bad if you're focusing on it with, like, all of your waking hours if that's what you feel like you need to do. So I don't mean to make this sound like it's judgmental and you're doing it wrong if you're doing that. But just be aware of what, what you're doing. That's the way that I look at it as just yeah. be aware. And if at all possible, really, really, really try to make sure that you're setting aside enough time for you, your family, whatever it is that's important yeah. outside of the work. It's interesting that you bring that up because early on um, when I began to get really busy and things were starting to be really successful for me, um, my husband and I had just been married and he said something really important to me that finally made it click. And he said, by doing this, by constantly working and not taking some time off and not allowing your voice to rest, you're being very unprofessional because mm-hmm. a professional takes care of their voice when that's their job. Mm-hmm. You know, a professional takes care of their body when that's their instrument. And so by not doing those things, by not giving myself the freedom to take a few days off and to just not talk or to give myself the freedom of the of the mind just to say, I'm going to take a coffee break for an hour and just relax. He really made it clear to me that I was being really unprofessional with myself. That's great. And I was like, you know what? You're right. Yeah, Yeah, you're right. I had like it is my job to take care of my body because that is the instrument with which I use to work. Yep. So by working nonstop, you're not helping the producers, you're not helping um, the production houses, you're not, you're not helping yourself by being exhausted all the time. Yep. No, you know? totally agree. And so, it comes through in your performance. Yeah, I'm sure that that's true as well, um, which is, it's, it's almost secondary in my mind, but it's of it's a primary importance for the business overall. You've got to you've yeah. got to continue to be able to put out a, a very high quality product, right? Yeah. Well, that's great. I uh, I think that's great advice. So, uh, Christine, this has been fantastic. Thank you for coming in. Uh, where can people find you if they want to look you up online? Oh, I'm all over the place. So you can go to my website, which is vamaudio.com. H V A M. You know that funky H at the beginning of my name. <laughs> um, And then you can find me on all of the social media places, the Facebooks and the Twitters and the Instagrams, all under my name, Christine Vam. On Instagram, I think it's under Vam Audio. All right. And that is K-H-R-I-S, right? Yes, I know. Talk to my parents. No, no, no. I just, I want to make sure that people understand (laughs) that, that the spelling is a little bit different. Thanks, Rich. Yeah, (laughs) K-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-E-H. V-A-M. So you got, oh, all you got, sorts of letters. Yeah, you got a couple of H's in there that are a little bit unusual. Yeah, we used to joke and say my name was Christine Havam. <laughs> That's great. Well, Christine, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. I hope the uh, lemon-lime club soda was good. I can tell you that I Yummy. just finished my tequila cocktail, and I'm a big fan. <laughs> um, Thanks, Rich. This was really great. Yeah, yeah. It, I'm so glad that we uh, we had a chance to connect at uh, APAC. You never know who you're going to meet at those things. You never know who you're going to meet. Always be on your best behavior. <laughs> That's right. All right. Thanks, Christine. Thank you. Well, that's it for tonight. Many thanks to Christine Vam for stopping in. I really enjoyed hearing about the first full-cast musical audiobook that she put together and about her unique journey into the audiobook world, and I hope you did, too. As always, you can find the audiobook Speakeasy on iTunes, Stitcher, and Podbean, and all the apps that pull from iTunes. 
And you can find me at richvoiceproductions.com, where I've got some samples and links to audiobooks I've narrated, and where I'm also posting episodes of the audiobook Speakeasy. If you're enjoying our Speakeasy chats, please leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you're not enjoying them, please find a podcast you do enjoy and leave them a review. If you think this show is educational, entertaining, or valuable simply because it gives you an excuse to sit down and enjoy a cocktail in an otherwise hectic day, I'd really appreciate it if you'd add a buck or two to the tip jar. You can make a per-episode donation by signing up at patreon.com slash audiobookspeakeasy, or you can make a one-time donation by visiting paypal.me slash audiobookspeakeasy. Any financial support is greatly appreciated as it helps me keep the lights on here in the speakeasy. Until we see you here in the speakeasy again, I hope you can find some time to enjoy an audiobook. Cheers! (laughs) ¶¶